Podcast. We're glad to have you. I'm going to keep this intro short because it's a long conversation with my friend Tad, who I've known for, I just thinking about nearly 20 years. We discuss music, we discuss some pan astral, we discuss some of our experiences studying music in college, as well as the blues. And can you ever really define how the blues should be played? So, with that, I'm using the tune. She's the one by Pan Astral from their album Suburban Blues. Check out Pan Astral, panastral.com, Pan Astral on Bandcamp, Pan Astral on SoundCloud, Pan Astral on iTunes, or wherever you get your digital music. You will not be disappointed. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Tad for recording this with me. Thank you again to Pan Astral for letting us use their music. And thank you for you to you for listening. I hope you enjoy it. It's okay. It's just in a video conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah, because I was going to say, you guys uh, just upload audio on the podcast, right? Yep, yep. And uh, yeah. except for that one time, we've never actually physically been in the same place or even in the same states. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't, even, I didn't even realize that, like, just listening to it, it sounds, I mean, it, like, I assumed that you guys were just sitting across from each other. Recording no. It. We actually had a hell of a time trying to figure out how to do that when she was here. Uh, we ended up just like having one microphone and it was really hard to hear because we couldn't, we were trying to like have it so we were coming through each other's headphones, but that wasn't yeah. working either. Oh, okay. So at some point we'll have to fix that because there's some people locally I'd like to talk to. Um, but no, I've got a buddy who is actually a Lutheran minister out there and mm-hmm. I was trying to get him to come on and just have a chat with me. And he was like, I'd love to, uh, you know, maybe we could have a beer first. Like, have a beer first? It's like, did you not realize I moved? Oh. <laughs> he thought I'd, like, moved back, I guess. Oh, okay, yeah. Because you've been uh, you've been in Seattle area for quite a while now, right? Yeah, coming up on, Jesus, coming up on seven years in April. Wow, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And haven't been back to Denver a whole lot, which is uh, not something I've been trying to avoid, just uh, something that. I only have so many vacation days, and I always end up doing other things. Yeah, totally. Do you, um, do you still have family here? Or? Yeah, yeah. My uh, dad, my mom, and sister, and her kiddos, and her husband, are, everyone's out there. So Okay. Yeah, yeah. but it's nice, too. Um, my dad makes it up here. I think he tries to get here twice a year. My mom oh. came out here about a year ago, as did my dad and my sister. Nice. And then, of course, you know everyone's going to be up here pretty soon. And yeah, and my sister and her kids really, really, really like it. So they try and get up here as much as they can. Cool. Yeah. Congrats on your engagement, oh, by the way. Thank you. A little while ago, but yeah. Well, I mean, it was, let's see, it was May. So it hasn't been that long, I guess. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Congrats, though. That's awesome. Thanks. Ugh. So 
I, uh, you can probably guess I've been recording. I just kind of start these up early. So if there's ever anything that you think you said that you want me to like look up and like take out, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably do that at some point. Okay. But, oh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Fair warning. Cause he just did it already. Usually what kind of dictates the uh, length of these conversations when Julia is not here is how long the dog can uh, go with that. For all the time we've spent talking over the, you know, playing music together over the years. I don't recall if I've got your, like, this is how I started playing guitar story. Is there oh. really one to it, or is it just kind of something that just kind of happened? Well, there sort of is, yeah. I mean, I, um, I let's see, I guess around the time I was, you know, pro- so my older brother um, kind of got me into music because he was a couple years older than me, and he he's not a musician, but, you know, when I was probably nine or ten, mm-hmm he was like at that age where he was starting to actually buy and consume music. And, um, so we would listen to the, to the radio together. I mean, that's how I consumed music as a kid. Yeah. Just like I had a, I had a Walkman, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, I took it everywhere pretty much and listened to the radio all the time. And I, and occasionally I save up my money and buy cassette, cassettes, fancy cassette tapes. Yeah. But, um, I, I kind of got, you know, into, you know, just a lot of the stuff that was being played around that time, which was a lot of like, you know, just Seattle rock and yep. grunge music and stuff like that. And uh, so, yeah, so I, th- I, you know, I think I just got interested in, in playing because of that. And then I, when I heard my dad had mentioned in passing that he had an old guitar um, from when he was a kid hmm. um, that was like in a storage locker or something. And so when I heard that, I was like, oh, I've got to get that, you know? And yep. <laughs> so, so basically I just kind of, um, you know, I, I begged my parents, um, over the course of a month or two, like probably every day to get it out until he finally did. And so, <laughs> yeah. So then I just, I started taking lessons from, um, actually a next door neighbor who was this older lady and we probably had like two lessons or something. And she kind of, was like, oh, he should probably go to a real teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so I started taking lessons at uh, this little music store in, in Littleton. You might remember it. It was called Crescendo Music. Yep. I took some lessons there myself. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that, I kind of, you know, I took lessons there for a few years, and that was uh, kind of how I got started playing. And so, yeah, because we're also, like, basically – Am I, am I a little older than you? I think by like a year, maybe. Because your birthday is in April, right? Uh, it's well, it's in June. Um, June? June, okay. Yeah. Why was I thinking April? I don't know. It's, but you, you're a little bit older. Oh, so you're just about a month then, because yeah, I'm May '83. Um, okay. Gotcha. But no, very, very similar thing uh, as far as the music goes. Where my sister, who's almost two years older than me, was listening to, uh, I think. The one tape that I was really like, oh my gosh, I want to listen to music now. Because before then, it had been like just listening to where my parents were listening to. It's like mm-hmm. Green Day Dookie. I, I listened to that entire tape like I don't know how many times through. Yeah. And then when my uh, parents found out that it was bad, they tried to take it away but realized it was kind of too late. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I've listened to this like, probably more times than you can you know, get out of my brain. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, my dad, in fact, I've got his guitar on the wall in front of me here. Um, it's like a Fender that was made in Korea that he bought in the Twin Cities in the early 80s. 
Oh, wow. And I've always thought it sounds really good, even though he said it was like less than $100 when he bought it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wouldn't really let us play that. He had this nylon string guitar from Sears, I kid you not, Yeah, where the yeah. action was super high. It was like impossible to play. Right. <laughs> it was like basically going to discourage anybody from ever continuing to play guitar. Yeah. <laughs> this is so difficult. <laughs> and um, I got – my first guitar lessons were a group at the old Swallow Hill location – Mm. And the guy was just trying to teach like basic chords and everyone's just trying to play the same songs. And uh, I remember he uh, showed me how to play the, you know, just the the verse part from About a Girl by Nirvana. Okay, yeah. Uh And that was like the first like song I could sort of play. Mm -hmm. And then I had a guitar teacher. I can't remember his name um, at Crescendo for a while. And I can't remember exactly what happened, but. He really wanted me to play Hendrix, which I really wish I would have stuck with, but like I was not super interested in it at the time. Sure. And then my dad has a friend who was like, "Oh, I'll I'll teach you lessons." And he kind of st- taught me how to start playing like the blues and stuff. Okay. And after about 6 months I was like, "Yeah, I need a real guitar teacher again." Damn it. <laughs> and yeah, well, it's interesting <laughs> like you mentioned well, so did you start playing guitar before um, sax and clarinet and stuff? Or? Just a little bit. Uh, I started playing guitar in fifth grade. And then, um, you know, going into middle school, I don't know if you had this choice or not, because obviously we were in the same school district. You basically had your choice of band or choir slash drama. Okay. And for whatever reason, I chose band in in a very prototypical me kind of way fashion chose saxophone because it was one of the few instruments I could make a sound on Mm -hmm. that and clarinet and whoever was having me like decide like, well, you should do clarinet because there's less competition. Like, screw you up doing saxophone. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Saxophone's way cooler. Did you ever I think, do something like that cool. as far as a wind instrument? Or did you just... I, I, no, I actually never did. I um, So, you know, in like, I guess, um, sixth and seventh grade, the school I was at really didn't have a music program. Um, hmm. There was... They had a... It, it basically, there was a music teacher there and as she was actually my favorite teacher, because she was kind of this um, sort of bohemian <laughs> <That's> <laughs> kind of cool. lady at this otherwise very um, kind of uptight um, play at school. And so, um, so she would like have us bring in stuff to listen to as a class. And she was very creative. And but with but there really wasn't a band or anything until I got to um, eighth grade, and I went to a different school. And so I auditioned for the uh, you know, the jazz band mm-hmm. there, uh, on guitar. And uh, that, that was really fun because that was the first time I'd really had a chance to, you know, actually play in a, in a group. A group like yeah. That. Yeah. So. Yeah. I didn't actually, uh, like I played in just whatever band was in sixth and seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And saxophone was just kind of a thing like, Hey, this, I guess this is still sort of fun. And in seventh grade, it was either band or shop class. And okay. I was like, eh, I'll keep playing band. And mm-hmm. then I played guitar. 
actually played guitar in my eighth grade jazz band and started off in like high school. I was originally playing guitar in one of the jazz bands before basically just kind of stopped playing guitar for a while. Mm-hmm. So in <laughs> in another sort of fun twist to this was when I went to high school, um, I've been playing cause you know, you remember this in middle school, all of a sudden ska bands became popular. Oh, and yeah. so like older kids were like, wait, you play saxophone too. Yep. You should play in our ska band. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, Oh, look, this is actually kind of, kind of fun. Um, my dad after, I don't know how many tries of like, Hmm, my son plays saxophone. Perhaps he'll like this. Mm-hmm. And it was, here's Kenny G. Like, what the? Uh, <laughs> oddly enough, I think he played a song for me by uh, Dot Cero, which is okay. a Denver group. Yeah. And their saxophone player, Steve Watts, ended up being my most influential saxophone teacher later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, the band director, when I was uh, auditioning for jazz bands, Oh really? Yeah. So I like because I I think it, part of it was I had some orthodontia work that had just been like taken out, and uh, so like I was super super flat. <laughs> okay. And uh, he said like I remember he told my middle school band director who is probably like my favorite as far as like teacher like maybe up until college, mm-hmm. uh, you know, told him that I had a deep bluesy tone, which mm-hmm. I was like, isn't that good? I don't know. But yeah. I was like, I'm just going to practice a saxophone now. And that's kind of where it went. See, yeah, that's really interesting because I, you know, I think by the time I met you in high school, that was your, that was your main instrument. Yep. Like. And uh, so it's kind of interesting how it wasn't necessarily a linear thing for you to, to get there that, that it just kind of filtered to the top. It sounds like at some point. Yeah. And some of it too is just, I think had ska not come about, because the perfect union for that got me to jazz was oddly enough in eighth grade. I think it was like around winter break. My dad came home with a CD of John Coltrane's greatest hits. Oh, wow. And I put on my favorite things mm-hmm. and was just blown away. Like, yeah. I probably listened to that five or six times in a row. I was just like, what, what is this? Sure. Yeah. That's and awesome. Did you have something like that with like, jazz guitar that kind of hits you or was it just kind of you just kept playing in jazz bands and picking up on it and you know kind of getting into it or uh was there something that you listened to like oh wow this is cool well i i think it was it was starting to play in the the jazz bands and then of course that necessitated uh learning some more of the jet like chord voicings and things like that um and then you know it really wasn't until i um, started taking lessons from Jim Stallhut, you know, who, you yep. know, and, uh, you know, so then he, in, in, he was, uh, pretty much teaching me just jazz. And so he would give me, um, tapes or CDs to take home and listen to. And I, I, I do remember one of them was the, um, a go-go album, uh, by John Schofield mm-hmm. where with, uh, Modesky Martin and Wood. And, um, so I remember really liking that a lot. And, uh, and also really enjoying, like, I think he had me listen to a lot of um, Jim Hall and, and Pat Metheny and stuff okay. like that. So those, you know, were, and then, of course, uh, 
it's kind of like you, you start opening doors and then more doors open. But, um, you know, then I started listening to more horn players and stuff like that. But I think at first it was, it was just some of those big, big name jazz guitarists, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of, uh, I was like, wow, this is a whole, whole different thing, you know, cause I, up till then it had been, I'd been really into, um, Hendrix and, yeah. and that. So, yeah. It's funny with, uh, <clears throat> with Jim. So, yeah, he taught uh, like maybe once a week, maybe once a month. I can't remember how often it was, but he would come into our jazz band and just kind of teach us improv. And oh, yeah. um, Jim is a tremendous guy and obviously just a great player. And uh, this doesn't hurt anybody's feelings or make anybody embarrassed. But I do recall some of my classmates thinking that it was a big waste of time. Mm. Which I was like, how is this a waste of time? And like, but he, I mean, he's so comprehensive in the way that he teaches. Yeah. Because I had teachers that would just do pentatonics. Like that's how my first teacher was. Was everything was play a pentatonic over whatever like the chord structure is. Mm-hmm. And his idea was that way. Like you're just you're playing. You're you're just kind of getting some confidence, but you're kind of going by ear more than anything else. Yeah. Then yeah. I had another teacher that was all about you know you had to go through and just play all like the right chord tones. So I remember him having me do exercises where I had to resolve to the nine every time. Cause he just wanted me to like, keep it in mind that I could do it. Okay. Yeah, sure. And Jim would just have like the, all of the above approach. He's like, here's like six different scales. You can play over this chord. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I remember that. Too. And I'm actually, I think I was freshman in college, like in between winter break. And went to his house. I can't remember what he was teaching me, but it was so like the two five one to kind of resolve at the end of a chord progression. Mm-hmm. Um, is there like a six that gets thrown in there sometimes? Yeah, well, I do remember like yeah, I, I do remember him teaching me all these kind of um, substitute chords mm-hmm. you could use, you know. Or or like alternate turnarounds, like you could, oh you can do three six two five, or you can do, you know, um, uh, two you know, and then flat two altered, and then you know, so mm-hmm. so so he would yeah take that basic framework and then show you all the different ways you could kind of uh, vary it, I guess. I remember uh, his son the, actually, in, I, I, who I believe is a lawyer now, is he not? I think you might be right. Yeah, I haven't, you know, I haven't been in touch with uh, with Matt in a while, in a long time, actually. But, but I mean, Matt, uh, I'm sure he can still, I'm sure he's still a monster if he wants to be. But you know, I mean, he was. Yeah. I remember hearing that he was like the guy when he was at New School, and I played, like, I played some of his recordings for people when I was in college, and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, I played it for a friend of mine who went to UNT down yeah. in texas and he was like this is amazing like i think what do you describe it as phil woods meets cannonball adderley meets uh kenny garrett mm-hmm. just like <laughs> yep well, that's kind of the uh it's some very high praise i mean that's what i think any saxophone player would like especially an alto would like to sound like one of those guys <laughs> and if yeah. you can do all three it's pretty crazy but he had taught yeah. me this uh, oh sorry go ahead oh no no no, go ahead i was gonna say he taught me when I was a senior in high school, we were playing the blues. And I, I don't know about you, just 12-bar blues has always been something that I feel like I've never really been good at. Like, I can play through 
I can play through really complex changes. I, I still can't really play giant steps. Um, well, I, I still couldn't. I can't play it right now, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but like when I was really, really playing, I could never do that. But I could play through some really weird changes. I had some tonal understanding that I, I kind of actually got from this exercise, but I was never really good at the blues. I don't think I ever really got that much better, but we were just playing a 12-bar blues in Jim's basement, and Matt was kind of just listening to me. And like he showed me this thing because he was like, "Well, you just you kind of seem like you're stuck," which I think I really was. Like, because when Jim first heard me play through blues, I did the classic blues scale like the whole time, mm-hmm. <laughs> because that was what my saxophone teacher had taught me: just play this, and it works. And sure. Jim was like, "So like, there's some good stuff going on here," but he's like, "You should dig in more and really play like." you know, with like the actual scales and really play like with the chords and not focus so much on just putting the one, you know, blues scale in there over the whole thing. Okay. And so Matt was, had me do this thing where we were playing, um, I think it was the major arpeggio of the A and like then alternate that with the major arpeggio of B above it. So just the whole step. And I would do that like really kind of double time to kind of like just give me something to go to. And I never really lost that in my, all my ways through playing in college until I uh, switched majors. I would incorporate that. So a lot of times I would, if I was playing something where it was basically in like, I remember playing uh, towards like the middle. It just kind of like slows way down and it swings and it just kind of hits. Well, the actual chord is in, uh, E flat seven. Mm-hmm. And so on tenor, it's a F seven and it just kind of sits there for a while. And it's just, you kind of playing around with the drummer basically. And in this case, it was a big band arrangement. They're just kind of playing this in the background. Mm-hmm. So I was just doing F seven alternating with playing a B seven arpeggio over that. And oh. I remember like ha- talking to a bunch of like the grad students afterwards, like, how did you come up with that? Like, uh, just kind of took this thing that Matt showed me at one point and just applied it to the tritone. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Well, yeah, then I guess it just gives you a whole bunch of altered, um, altered tones, I guess. Right. Yep. And because it, you know, you're centering on those, uh, basically just arpeggios, it always bringing you back to something. So it doesn't sound like you're kind of screwing around. It's, It's very purposeful. Sure. I'll have to figure out what that uh, song is. I'll put that in our show notes. I That was just, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> that was one of the cool things he showed me there. I guess, did you ever feel this, or do you still feel that way with playing just the 12-bar blues, that it's something that you're like, I don't feel like I'm really, really playing the blues. I'm playing the chord changes, or I'm playing something, but it's I don't feel like I'm a blues player. Well, it's interesting. I think, for me, it kind of depends on the, on the context because like if I think of um, like you were talking about a 12 bar blues in a jazz context, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. like, cause obviously there are a lot of what we would call jazz tunes that are, that are blues that are 12 bar blues. Um, and so I, if I'm in that context, I ended up playing a, a whole different kind of thing than I would if I was playing like blues, blues, you know? Yeah. Like, where it's a lot more, um, 
I guess vocal is the word where I'm almost just more playing melodies and stuff. I'm kind of like, and I do a lot more sliding and bending and. Oh yeah, I got you. It's usually a bit more, um, not necessarily simple, but it's just, um, but yeah, I think in that, like in that jazz context, I'd be more inclined to use like a lot of those kind of altered or different approaches that the stall huts, you know, yeah. <laughs> learn i mean you know i learned a lot learned a lot over there really expanded me um a lot and i remember there were times like that approach you were saying where it was kind of the the, the whole kitchen sink like here's all, all these different things you can yeah. use and i do remember times when i was a bit overwhelmed but um but i, I really really learned and grew a lot and the, you know the amazing thing about matt um to me he was like one of those you know, you were kind of talking about what a ridiculous player he yeah. was <laughs> on sax, which was absolutely true. Um, but then I remember I saw like so, I saw him playing piano a couple of times, and I'm like, he was like an amazing piano player. And I was like, where did this go from? <laughs> and he was like, oh yeah, I just kind of messed around with it once in a while, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> And it was like, I didn't get the sense that he spent a ton of time practicing it. I could be wrong, but it was just like, he was one of those, um, you know, one of those people who was just so, had so much talent flowing yeah. out of them. It was just uh, kind of, yeah. Seems like one of those guys where the brain just kind of runs and yeah. uh, you know, also the work ethic and all that stuff. But uh, yet yeah, to your point though, about like people that can just like, sit down and like do stuff musically like wait that's not even your instrument i always think of uh i don't want to use his last name just in case he doesn't want me to but i always think of uh andrew when mm-hmm. it comes to that because like i can't remember what the song was but is he picked up the guitar and played both dave matthews and tim reynolds parts a few times without realizing he was doing it <laughs> because he just could play it by ear i was like watching his fingers I'm like why are you doing that like the voicing like his because I don't know a whole lot, uh, kind of a tangent here. My The last guitar teacher I had basically started teaching me jazz theory and like all like, is it cage theory on guitar? Like oh, how, yeah. Yeah, I, teaching me I've stuff like that because he wanted to learn it. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> even though I was sort of like, I don't really want to, like I'm not playing jazz guitar anymore. I want to learn how to play this. Like, no, let's do this. Great, uh, <laughs> and that that guy, uh, I found it actually. I think a few years ago, he actually passed away. He was a he was a great great guy and a great player. But uh, uh, yeah, I was trying to learn a Dave Matthews song one time, and he was like, "What in the hell?" And like he like looked at the linear notes, and he was like, "Oh, there are two guitar players." Okay, that makes more sense because this doesn't <laughs> doesn't make any sense at all. Because like these voicings. Also, he's like, how the hell would you do that? And like, then like years later, watching Andrew do it, like, kind of reminds me of uh, the legend of is it Art Tatum, who used to learn how to play piano by like listening to a player piano where there was duets and playing both parts himself. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's like, oh crazy. Gosh. Yeah. And I think that was sort of where it's like, maybe I just shouldn't play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> no um um so no like we were still 
the summer that summer like we were playing in Colin's basement and uh, mm. I went to Guitar Center over there near Park Meadows to watch a blues guitar contest or battle or something that they were holding there. Mm-hmm. And my stepdad, Warren, his friend was competing and he bought, uh, I'm pretty sure the BB King Lucille, like signature model Gibson guitar. Okay. And he got up there and tried to play like, he got up there and played a blues that was almost too major and like too clean. And it's like, it's not bad, but like, is that really the blues? And then, uh, the guy who won basically played like Stevie Ray Vaughan meets trying to think of a more like modern kind of like guitar virtuoso. Like where, Robin Ford or something like that. Yeah. I was going to say Steve Vai, but that would have been like, that been, wasn't that insane? <laughs> um, Stevie Ray Vai. <laughs> he had sort of that look too like the guy had been like so busy shredding that he still had the look that it was 1987 um, okay. that's kind of mean I shouldn't say that, but just kind of that look and he had the, the white strat and everything and like he had his effects dialed in to sound I think that, that was what, where I'm getting more of the sound of it like it wasn't the tone of Steve of uh, Steve Ray Vaughn wasn't Steve Vai, <laughs> um, but it was like just more modern. Mm-hmm. And he won, and he was technically he was amazing. And we went to dinner afterwards, and Warren's friend was saying, "Well, that's just not the blues." And I remember kind of agreeing with him and being like, "Well, no, but unfortunately, I think especially for guitar players, and this is where you can totally correct me if I'm wrong." Kind of the thought process is if you're going to play the blues, like kind of rock style, that's probably you want to sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Well, he's yeah, big go to. Um, I think, well, I guess I should say um, he's kind of one of those big reference points for a lot of guitar players, I think, for sure. You, you know, when it comes yeah. to that. Yeah. And yeah, just, well, you're talking about like all the bends and stuff like that. And he certainly had that. I'm thinking to, uh, is it Texas flood? I just, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just let that whole kind of thing where he's like, I think he's ascending like, wah, 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 wah. you know, that was, <laughs> that yeah. I just, I just thought of that. Like, what is the blues? Well, you're both, I, d- I didn't think either one of you were technically playing the blues. But, Cause when I think of, playing a strict like 12 bar blues i think of uh a modern example would be there's a recording of a very young joshua redmond and i think it's called blues on sunday mm-hmm. where it's like oh he's playing all the stuff that i think of uh you know as far as a jazz player playing the blues should do yeah so yeah you're, that's what you're absolutely right it's very subjective <laughs> well what is it it's like yeah. Right. It's a, yeah, it's an interesting question. And, and I mean, I guess that's part of the beauty of it too, is that it, it, um, over time has become a very open-ended thing. It's like, I guess that at the most basic level, it's a, it's a way for people to express themselves. Right. I guess. Yeah. Think of the blues as, um, sort of where feeling 
at least for, for me, this is just kind of my mindset, but it's kind of where, where feeling is, is paramount, mm-hmm. you know, and essentially trying to translate what you're feeling through your, through your instrument. So whether you're, you know, but, but like you said, depending on what kind of context and, and band or, or not that you're playing with, it's going to come out very differently, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. Really interesting. <laughs> That's because I, was, I oh, uh, sorry, go ahead. I, oh, I'm sorry. No, I, uh, so I took, uh, when I was in college, actually, I, I uh, got to take this elective course. That was one of my favorite classes. I think it was, uh, what was it called? American roots music, I think. Oh, wow. And, um, so he, the teacher actually had um, Honey Boy Edwards come into the class one day, and he was like, uh, I think he was ninety something at the time. <laughs> this was like two thousand five, you know. Mm-hmm. And he actually came in, and he he was one of these like original guys from Mississippi that like, you know, yeah. remember like he he was like new Robert Johnson, you know. He was like one of those kind of guys. That, yeah. You know, the kind of out of the delta kind of music yeah it was very it was he was mississippi delta exactly and so and it was just just him and his acoustic guitar and and that's blues but it but again like a totally different uh sound than any you know obviously as players we're talking about but and it's so interesting too because the way he played it was, and, and I think a lot of those guys, because they were kind of self-taught or maybe they, maybe a friend taught them and that friend was also self-taught or something like yeah. that, you know? <laughs> um, but they, they developed these kind of idiosyncratic styles, you know, of playing. They're, they're like their own kind of way of picking and playing chords and melodies and stuff that was just so unique. And so it's interesting to go, okay, like you look as far back as that, and then uh, fast forward um, eighty years or yeah. <laughs> whatever, and it's so and it's uh, you know we call it blues, but it's um, it's sort of branched off into so many different areas. It's really interesting. Well, and it really is too, because I'm just thinking about now, like I kind of um, you know back to Jim and like giving recordings of especially Schofield. Uh, he gave me a recording that he made of. Uh, Schofield touring the uh, A Go Go album, so he was touring with a must have been super super young uh, Seamus Blake at that point, and he gave me this recording, and I'm just like my mind was just blown, um, just the way that he's you know, Seamus Blake is all over the place, like he uses everything he does sounds just effortless, like he uses the altissimo range, like wait what the hell are you doing? Um, Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's so lyrical and uh, not to, I mean, obviously um, <laughs> we're getting a little music nerdy here, especially me getting saxophone nerdy. Uh, if people are fans of like, say Chris Potter, who is mm-hmm. just an utter you know, virtuoso of the, of the instrument. Um, n- not that anything he does sounds you know, like he's putting a lot of effort in, but he's almost like, his tone is more like surgical. I think about when I think of Chris Potter as opposed to Seamus Blake, where it yeah. just, it sounds just, it's so cool. I, I don't even know if I can put it into words. Uh, yeah. No, I know what you're talking about for sure. And thinking, Oh my gosh, this stuff is so cutting edge. And I, I was trying 
my best, not doing a great job of it, but trying my best to kind of emulate that sort of thing where, mm-hmm. you know, I was trying to kind of play fast, but also be lyrical and not necessarily bound by, I didn't want to play bebop, I think is yeah. a nice way of putting it. And I kind of ran into people like, man, this is, he's not really playing jazz. He's good, but he's not playing jazz. And, you know, at the time, like there weren't a lot of players like Chris Potter or Joshua Redman or Seamus Blake on saxophone, at least. And now it seems like you go on YouTube and other things. It seems like there's players not only just throughout the U.S. and they're super young, too, but there are guys all over the world that just do that stuff. And that's where I was going with this whole like where jazz has kind of started and where it's now at. Um, mm-hmm. And I suppose you could talk to like with Marcellus and is this jazz anymore or not? Uh, but just the level of musicianship and just ability and not only that, and then breaking it down like theory wise and uh, all the different things they're doing. It's like, there's some cool stuff. And I feel like it's come a long ways just since sort of, I kind of stopped really playing seriously in uh, the mid two thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, which leads me to my next point here. Cause I was going to ask you, do, do you have a music degree from USC? I forget it. Cause I remember you went there, you went there on a partial academic scholarship too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So I actually started, um, when I first went there, they had a, uh, program called studio and jazz guitar, um, which is, uh, still there as far as I know. Um, but it's really cool program. Um, that's kind of, um, so it's, it's very jazz based, but it's also kind of aims to prepare guitar players for, uh, you know, just contemporary work, like, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to sort of be, you know, a session player, like being able to jump in the studio. Show him play what's on the page. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, anyway, I started in, in that program, but I, I actually wound up um, getting my degree. It was kind of like a kind of a split um, degree that they had, but it was basically liberal arts and and music. So okay. I continued some of the music classes and some of the lessons and things like that. But but then I also ended up taking a whole bunch of other courses in in uh, liberal arts and that sort of thing. And what were uh... What were your favorite non-music classes? Yeah, um, I took, uh, you know, what was it called? Um, I think it was like Eastern spirituality or Eastern religions or something Mm -hmm. like that. That was quite fascinating. We studied Taoism and and Buddhism and and some of those traditions. And, um, you know, I, let's see. Uh, I took a, actually a couple sort of film history um, type classes, film and American history. And um, I remember I when I really enjoyed, uh, there was this one, the Bible and Western literature. And so oh, yeah. Read, uh, you know, works of Western literature that were somehow sort of biblically based. Um, like, you know, I think we read Moby Dick. And, mm-hmm. Um, Master and Margarita and some different things and and then kind of analyzed where what the commentary was what where it came from in the Bible and sort of so that each one was kind of fleshed out a little bit more you understood mm-hmm. the novel 
um, a little bit better, but then you also ended up kind of understanding a bit more about the Bible and the historical context of that too. And yeah, so I feel fortunate. I got to, uh, uh, you know, really take some, some interesting, uh, courses. I've got a friend who's actually a doctor now who, uh, originally when she was, I think either a freshman or a sophomore in college, uh, tried her hand at studying creative writing. Mm-hmm. And I remember her asking me for one of my like you know, copies of the Bible. I'm like, and she's not religious at all. So I was like, why do you want that? And it was something similar where she was taking some lit course where they were trying to kind of understand different stories within the context of like how it relates to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she said that in a way it's, uh, you know, it's the most popular, and I, 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 if people of faith are listening or whatever, I'm not trying to insult anybody, but I think what her words were is that it's like the most popular storybook of all time. And I don't think she meant that to be derogatory. I think it was, she was saying that just, yeah. when you think of stories, what's, what, what stories do you generally think of? And it's a book that's been around forever and, you can mm-hmm. find it thanks to the Gideons in any hotel room in the country right now. So yeah. That, so I, I, that sounds really cool. Um, I, as a caveat, in college, I had a political uh, science professor who probably my favorite overall professor from college, even though I think I got a B in his courses twice and was very happy for that. <laughs> because it was just the other kids in that class that were like getting stuff like left and right. Like, wait, how how did you understand that concept? So what? what? So <laughs> when I was able to keep up, I'm like, all right, all right, cool. But he wanted to do a class that was basically where you watched classic films and then applied political science, like or political philosophy, like theory to it. Oh, okay, and. It's made sense because we kept kept showing us things from The Godfather. His favorite one was just that opening scene. The whole point in this exercise isn't for these people to get things. It's to confirm uh, Vito Corleone's power. That's the point of this is it's it's, basically confirming the uh, patronage system. That's not the right word. Patronage system. There we go. Mm. Um, And so, oh, this would be awesome. But the, uh, I don't know if it was just the department chair or if it was maybe larger than that, just didn't approve it. But I always wanted to take more courses like that, but uh, no, I did not. <laughs> yeah. So, so did you uh, have a music major then? Or, or no, you did, uh, was it political science or? Yes. It took me forever because I didn't really commit to either. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And my problem was always, Part of this is me just not being very good at it, but I really don't enjoy classical saxophone. And sure. I'm also, to be honest, I'm my technical chops have not really been where they should be, so my technique is not great. I've been kind of someone who can pick up something but play something by ear, not sort of the best sight reader, and then maybe not really worked at that. I'd sit down and just listen to stuff and try to emulate it. So having a professor who was all about classical was probably not the best setup for me. He was trying to kind of send me a message that 
maybe I shouldn't keep doing it when everyone else said I was fine. Hmm. And he kind of just had a sit down moment. Like I, I'll probably delete that part just because I don't want him to like listen or anyone else. Like, Oh, he's blaming that guy. It's like, no, no, that wasn't his fault. He, I think he was trying to kind of go, Hey, um, this is something you should probably kind of work at. (laughs) And I wasn't really willing to work at the classical saxophone part of it. Part of that was, um, Right around the time I met you, Tad, I just started playing clarinet. And uh-huh. when I started playing clarinet in classical groups, I really liked that a lot more, particularly bass clarinet. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, these parts are cooler. I like the way it sounds more. Saxophone in a classical situation, and at least for me, I know like there's guys that I study with that are just phenomenal classical saxophone players. But for me, it just it just doesn't sound like it fits. Sure. And clarinet, you're like, oh, I can kind of fit in here. Um, also, we'll get into this too, but I don't know about you as far as playing classical music goes. I find it kind of boring because for me, it's always been somewhat easier as far as like the actual playing because you just have to play what's on the page. Okay, sure. And it just, I kind of get bored with it because of that. And, um, but yeah, long story short, he said, you can keep doing this as far as music goes and not major in it because he was like you're obviously very good and you like Mm -hmm. doing it but he's like you don't like putting in the work which i was a very fair point um but then i went and went uh to my political science my original political science advisor and she told me you got to commit she's like i'm sorry you you can't have basically one foot in each door Mm -hmm. she's you won't be able to focus and I remember at the time thinking, oh, you don't know me. And she was very much right because I was basically doing mostly music performance ensembles mm-hmm. and then half-assing my way through poli-sci courses. And it wasn't till um, it was after that year I'd spent playing with Art of the Break. Or not a year, but like several months. Oh, yeah. And that was a cool band. I, I remember that. Yeah, and that just kind of um, – I should actually get – Arturo on here. Um, you know, that was just, we kind of, I think tried to get the band going too fast. And in a lot of ways, like I don't think really knew what we were. And there was a lot of like different, there were several strong personalities that wanted the band to be different things. And it just kind of, you know, just kind of fell apart. And um, it happened to fall apart right before the school year started. And I got a really cool new advisor who was like, just like, hey, you should read this. Hey, you should read this. Oh, mm-hmm. I think you'd like this. And got me just really into actually studying that stuff. And that's how I kind of, I it wasn't that I stopped playing music. I just wasn't playing it as much. Mm-hmm. And that's how, kind of how I got through school and actually finally got a degree <laughs> in political science. But no, um, I... I I spent a lot of time in college because I tried to do both and didn't really ever commit to doing one <laughs> that well until the end. And it was uh, political science. And the funny thing, too, is I originally was like, I just wanted to go to school for business because I was like, I don't I don't want to do politics. And mm-hmm. I had uh, the internship director was like, hey, you study political science, but you want to do business. I'll send you to, to the uh, Chamber of Commerce, and they got to the Chamber of Commerce. They're like, hmm, 
Holly Sci guy, eh? You can deal with our government par- like projects. Oh, and end up liking it, even though now I actually work in business. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. How did you go from kind of? Because I know you were you were playing a fairly. You played in what was that band you played when you were at USC? And was like, didn't you have your song featured on American Pie, the like Naked Mile or something? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I played in. Uh, well, I played in a you know a couple a few different bands, but um, but that one was a band called The Drop. That's uh, right. And uh, yeah, that was a lot. You know, a lot of fun. And um, yeah, and I can't remember. You know, I think. I think one of the guys was he had his his foot in in film or something like that. And okay, so, which makes um, sense for USC. I mean, of all places. Yeah, and so there was a couple <laughs> a couple songs that ended up getting uh, licensed in um, in those movies, and uh, and uh, so that was that was pretty funny. But um, but yeah, so you know, it was. I think for me. Uh, I remember um, that first year of studying, um, I kind of got really overwhelmed, I think, because I was surrounded, like the caliber of, of players and and also just the, um, just kind of the sheer volume of work and practice and things. And, uh, and I, you know, to be honest, I, I remember uh, struggling you know, I was pretty, I, I had some depression going on. I was pretty anxious. I was, you know, it was just, I think I kind of just got overwhelmed and um, wasn't enjoying. I, I had a hard time sort of throwing myself fully into that guitar program. So mm-hmm. I had a lot of, uh, I mean, kind of similar to you, I had a hard time um, committing a hundred percent to it. Um, and uh, so, so eventually I kind of, um, yeah, I wound up, you know, I realized I wanted to, to do some other things as well. Um, but they, you know, fortunately I was able to, to do that and still, you know, uh, obviously stay pretty, pretty active musically. Mm-hmm. So I remember just when it was just a music major being like, I, like, I feel like my mind was bored just going to all these theory courses and some of it too, is you're just, you're, you're, only exposed to people like in the music school, you typically they're studying all the same stuff you are. Mm-hmm. And you know, you've known me for a while. Like uh, I was, I was interested in politics and history. I probably like it started with my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And so like, I want to read about this stuff too. I, I don't want to talk about this. Like I don't want to talk about like what I learned in this theory course. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I can definitely <laughs> understand that. It's like, well, I, I like I, I love playing, but I also there's other stuff here I'd like to you know kind of dig my teeth into. Yeah, definitely. You know, I I, uh, I had that similar experience where I I was just yeah, I kind of my I my mind was hungry. I wanted to take in some some other. You know, I enjoyed the music classes, but I wasn't. Um, but to do that, only do that, and do that 100 percent of the time at at least at that time, it felt for me too, too narrow. Um, and I wanted to expose myself to some other things too. And I don't know how uh, USC was, but you know, music schools can just be really, really, really kind of cutthroat in people that you, uh, and most of the guys that I went to school with, uh, 
for like saxophone. Like we're still friends now. And, you know, we were maybe like we were all gunning for the same spots, but it wasn't any sort of like, it wasn't uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It was, oh, you, oh, cool. You got it. And like, Hey, let's get together and I'll play and just, you know, have a great time. But, um, it was in particular, uh, this is where I imagine it might be a little bit different here. Um, although you had a lot more obviously going to school in Los Angeles and being a guitar player, I, I guess there was a lot more, uh, competition for actual gigs, but in Greeley, what really always got to me was I was playing gigs when I was in high school mm-hmm. and moving up to Greeley, there just aren't gigs outside of playing in your performance ensembles. There sure. are now because uh, the, the kind of shale boom is hit up there. But at the time, it's like I, everyone goes up here and there's guys that are PhD who have played like, you know, with Maynard Ferguson. I, I know so many guys that had toured with the Glenn Miller Orchestra. And it's like, well, uh, if there are any jobs, I'm not getting. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that just kind of makes the like competition for just the performance ensembles that much more just insane. Right. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Maybe, uh, maybe I just went to the wrong town <laughs> because I think everyone just kind of goes there and practices as far as uh, Greeley. Is USC technically in Watts or is it by Watts? Uh, yeah, it's not in Watts. It's um, I, it's near uh, it's near downtown LA. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's probably it's like ten minutes from the Staples Center. Mm-hmm. A little bit there. I mean, if you you know if you go fifteen or twenty minutes south of USC, you'll get to to Watts and Inglewood and stuff okay. like that. But it's not like in Watts, if that makes sense. No, because we uh. When we were in LA uh, back in May, which uh, that's actually where the whole engagement thing went down. Not in wa- not at Watt in Watts or anything, but like while we were in actually a hotel in <laughs> downtown Los Angeles. But mm-hmm. we stopped at a Trader Joe's that was right by USC, and okay. I remember thinking, like, Jesus Christ, how can anyone afford to go to school here? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? <laughs> was what? it like because it? Oh God! Was it that? I hate to use the word gentrified, but was it that kind of like highfalutin as far as like there were because where we were at was it was like a Target, a Trader Joe's and then like high end apartments above it. Gotcha. Okay. no, I think you know what? I think that's pretty relatively new. Um, So when I was there, uh, it was. You know, the obviously the campus itself is very, very nice and beautiful. Um, but it was it was not you know, basically right off the campus, um, there really wasn't much. There was just a little there was like a little strip mall thing where I did my laundry and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, there was there really wasn't anything. There was a few apartments and stuff. Um but I think in in recent years after, you know, after I left, um, I think they've really, really built up that whole area a lot. So it's probably it's it's been several years since I've been there, um, but it's probably quite a bit more gentrified now, I imagine. Well, it's funny you say I, I always think about that like, in, well, you've been out of uh, L.A. for longer than I've been out of Denver, but. Like anymore, like people will say something like, "Oh, that area sucks." Like, actually, it's nice now. 
what? Yeah. <laughs> it just happens so fast. Sure. Yeah. Really? Uh, even so where we live at, um, just north of Seattle, like we're still in King County, but we're technically not in Seattle. Okay. The light rail is coming to us. So when I first moved to where we're at right now, we're, we're moving uh, soon, like a few blocks away. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, kind of the main drag for where like the town sort of was, was like a very nondescript legal weed place, a Safeway, a Walgreens, a couple dive bars, and then like a strip mall. Okay, yeah. And now there are high-end apartments going up where our post office used to be. The uh, nondescript legal weed place is now very, like, bougie kind of weed weed place. Uh, And everything's just kind of popping up. And there's, like, a really good – like, if you go inside, it looks dirty, but it's a really good teriyaki place. That's Mm -hmm. probably being pushed out. And and that's just been – I've been here for just over three years. Wow. It just – it happens fast. (laughs) It really does. Yeah, I mean – and I've heard – I mean, Seattle, would you say Seattle's growing a lot in general? Um, in it is. Last- yeah, okay. it's, uh, Amazon has uh, just kind of thrown everything into hyperdrive. Okay, yeah. But but no, you're absolutely right. It's crazy how quick it happens because here, you know, here in Denver, um, there, it's similar where there are certain neighborhoods. Um, you know, there's an area called River North. Um, they call it Rhino. Huh. Uh, but basically, I don't know, probably five or six years ago, um, there was like one or two really um, kind of smallish bars that a couple of friends and I used to like to go to. And it was very, very low key. Um, and it was mostly, aside from that, it was mostly warehouses and stuff. And there was yeah. like one, one kind of music venue up there. It was an old, old bar. Um but yeah, in the last, like you said, in the last three years or so, it's now, um, I mean, you wouldn't recognize it. It's just, uh, there's so many, re- you know, brand new, really kind of chic, uh, restaurants and yeah. breweries and, um, you know, just, it's like, and, and, you know, of course, uh, tons and tons of people down there. Um, so yeah, just like within a matter of a couple of years, you know, a neighborhood can completely transform. It's been interesting seeing that. Yeah. And it's weird too, that I kind of am just living no longer in Denver, but it's like, I kind of keep expecting it to kind of stop, but it doesn't seem to be doing that. And uh, my mom and stepdad used to have a kind of a storefront slash, uh, just like a warehouse spot in, I think it's technically an Aurora and Mm -hmm. basically had to move because the landlord was going to use the building and totally renovate it and up the rent by a lot because there was a tech startup going in there. Oh, okay. How, what? Wow. (laughs) This is Denver, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I'm seeing a lot of – I don't know if they have this in Seattle, but I'm seeing a lot of ads for, for these places called WeWork. Yep. Where it's like sort of these collaborative office yep, spaces. Yep, exactly. That's what that place was. <laughs> okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so I, I – and actually there's – I've just been seeing ads recently, but there's a whole bunch of them 
I mean, there's several different like locations around Denver um, in different areas. And so, yeah, it's kind of, kind of exploding. It's a great concept. If you think about it, it's like, we all have kind of a similar interest in let's just share the office space. And I I think in some cases, like they share like a receptionist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, I was going to uh, just kind of talk about this sort of, because one of the things I always thought was interesting was once you get out of music school and once you get out of sort of like being stuck in playing these genres you think you kind of need to play in, for you, how do you like kind of, because I just think about that with the, I never listened to Pan Astral, and it's obvious that you're just creating all these just kind of soundscape kind of things. Do you just kind of take each project and attack it from a different kind of perspective for what it is? Or is there like a kind of, do you have sort of a, I, I know this is a horrible question. Do you have sort of like a style like in your head that you try and like, or style or, voice forgive me if if something you try and approach every project with or is it just kind of something where you're like hmm this would sound cool with this kind of a group or with this kind of a project or it's like hey i'm just gonna kind of put my my touches on this because it's how i do it yeah that's a great question um i think i think it's kind of more the the former where i try to approach each project kind of in uh somewhat independently and kind of try to hear what, what, what it's calling for. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, likewise see what, what ideas I can bring to it. But you know, with that said, I mean, there are certain things that I think are all, it always kind of ends up sounding like me just because, you know, just, (laughs) just because that's how it is. I mean, I think, you know, probably, um, for you too, like, uh, with sax, you have your own style, you know, it's just, and, um, so it's, it's in your hands and it's the way you, you approach it and your tone and all that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think for me, like in general things that, that kind of govern the way I try to approach music in general is just, um, you know, just, I, I guess just taste is the biggest thing. I just try to be tasteful. Um, I'm not, you know, I've never been interested in trying to, be um, super flashy or technical. I, I want to have enough technical ability to where I can express myself freely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I guess I just try to bring a level of just listening and, and taste to things so that I can, you know, I, I, I guess what I try to do is find just, I try to find like the perfect part for, for that song, you know, yeah, um, or for whatever it is. And so, and, and of course that evolves over time with, performing and stuff but um but yeah so it's kind of like taking all those elements the the tone the uh colors or effects the approach the you know when to play and when not to play and um so that that stuff i feel like is kind of always operating but aside from that um you know i've been kind of fortunate to play quite a few different types of um types of gigs you know i've played with quite a few different groups or, um, people. And, um, so I try, I'm, 
I guess in some ways a little bit of a little bit of a chameleon depending on what I'm doing, but I think it, it always probably to some extent ends up still sounding like me, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. Yeah. I've, I've, as I've gotten older, it's kind of things I understand about just like mainly my writing is I, I tried to tone down my own style of just communication in corporate emails <laughs> and which was it was necessary but then like, i got to the point where i went too far mm-hmm. and was being super short and just concise and people were going is this the same guy i talked to on the phone <laughs> <laughs> and so it's okay gotta find the medium there you're absolutely right it's you know it's there's it's always gonna be what you are doing there it's it's your voice is there no matter what but right. no i uh I totally I, what you're saying is excellent. Makes me think of uh, there. I'll again. I'll post this in the show notes. There's a video of this just amazing drummer giving a master class, and someone stands up and goes, "Is Ringo Starr a good drummer?" And his answer is basically, "That's a stupid question." Like he doesn't say it. <laughs> his, uh-huh. That's basically his answer because he says the point is to serve the music you're playing. And yeah. so he plays a Beatles song and he goes, is what he's doing serving you what the song is doing? Absolutely. And then he kind of starts doing like almost like some like dream theater kind of stuff, drums over it. He's like, this just sounds dumb. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Yeah. And it's just, it's absolutely right. And um, no, I, what I always think of when I think about playing with you and, um, I mean, you probably know this about me. Like, improvisational music to me is just something I love listening to. I really love, like that's my favorite to play. But mm-hmm. I feel like as I've gotten older, I've been like, no, um, I can really appreciate like what's going on in these settings. But I always just think like, and I know uh, we got some friends that have played with you too. Been like, I've just I've never played with a guitar player like Tad or. Uh, Mike says this all the time. He's just never heard a guitar player like you. And it's just true. Like there's just stuff where you'll just start playing. Like what in the world? How, what, how did you think to do that right off the top of your head? And just like, whether it's kind of, uh, it's a shitty recording. I'll have to see if I can find it somewhere, but it was something that I just was screwing around with on my guitar with uh, during a breakup. And you went from just this great, like, muscular like almost like classic rock guitar solo to almost sound like you were doing something bluegrass style and it was all just <laughs> messing around in colin's basement <laughs> it was like what <laughs> i didn't even think to come to that <laughs> that's funny and that was uh that was you know thinking of you and also thinking um i've known colin a bit longer than you have but when I first met Colin and he still kind of ribs me about this because I should not have said this, but then again, I was 16, maybe 15. I think I called him something like a metronome, which was just bad. But as I played with him through the years, one of the things I liked the most about what he did, and like to, to, to your point here is he would just sit there and listen for a second mm-hmm. and be like, what should my drum sound like here? And it was super cool. I've got – well, I had them. I lost them. Uh, right. He actually auditioned for 
to be the drummer in Art of the Break towards the end. And I thought it was just super rad. Like he sat back and he listened and everything was just in the pocket. He was driving what we were doing. Yeah. And it's like, that's just, again, just it's serving the song. It's trying to hear what these things should be. And, you know, it's, you're, you're, I'm sure you have this too. You're never going to get everything like the way that like, you'll hear it later and go, I wish I would have done that too. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. I was just saying there's always that that hindsight that you have the advantage of the time of listening to it over and over and go, oh, I, you know, if I were to go track that, you know, record that yeah. now, I'd do this a little differently. But, but you know, you, you do like you kind of bring what uh, what you know how to do at yeah. that point in time. Well, I and think one of the if, great things about it too is it kind of preserves that point in time. Of course. And um, I was going to say that also if you're listening to something that you've recorded or written or whatever you've done, whatever you've created, you're not going, man, I could have done that better. You probably aren't continuing to improve your craft. Right. Right. And that's just so that's a, that's always a cool thing. Um, no, I was just going to ask you though, is I realized another thing apart from not knowing your kind of musical origin story is, I don't really know the whole pan astral origin story here. I mean, you don't have to get it too long, but like, how did you come to uh, know uh, it's Gabe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Gabriel Otto. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So pretty interesting. Um, Actually. So Gabe actually uh, started that project, started pan astral in, um, I want to say 2009 or 2010, somewhere in there with um, a guy named Brian Burnett, um, who's, uh, he played with a band called Signal Path. Um, and so the two of them just kind of collaborated and started recording music together um, and uh, ended up making an album, which is the first Pan Astral album. I think it's just self-titled. Um, but that's just the two of them. And so they played a few shows um with along with um let's see i think it was damon metzner from signal path and mike rempel from lotus um, okay and they but it, it didn't it didn't last very long just like a few you know maybe <laughs> that's the nature of bands <laughs> yeah and so uh so i actually was looking for a room for rent on Craigslist. And, um, I responded to this ad and, uh, I, when I met the guy, um, we, he was telling me he was a bass player and he had just gotten back from a tour, uh, with another band. And so we just got to talking about music and, and, uh, I didn't end up taking the room, but I said, Oh, you know, we should, uh, just stay in touch anyway. And, uh, so we did. So we started playing together and we actually played in uh, kind of this, like, I guess you'd call it Jamtronica kind of band for maybe a year or two. That is a cool term. <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, we, um, let's see, we were playing a show at uh, Cervantes here in Denver one night and uh, Gabe actually came to our show um, and I'd never met him before, but uh, he really liked uh, myself and, and Kip, who was the bass player, Kip Coyne. 
Um, so yeah, so he approached us afterwards and said that, you know, because he, he still wanted to kind of reform, uh, <clears throat> pan astral and continue recording and, uh, and playing shows and stuff like that. So he kind of recruited us. Um, so yeah, so we started kind of learning all those songs and then writing, writing and recording new stuff. And then I brought in our, uh, our first drummer, uh, Mike Smith from a different band that I was playing with at the time, um, here in Denver too, because he's just a great, great drummer. Um, that's kind of so, the, the way bands work. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how that, how that came together, you know, it's a sort of combination of, uh, of who, you know, who you're already playing with and, and then ra- totally random connections too. Yeah. You know, from a Craigslist ad. So, and that's a fun way too about music is, you know, if it's, I like this guy's style, like your style. So we'll probably all mesh. Yeah. And that's it, just, um, right. I've had a hard time trying to just describe to people that like, even here in Seattle, you know, with their history of music and all that, where I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like Denver is a fantastic music scene. I don't know <laughs> what it is, but like the people that are homegrown, there's tons of them that are great. There's people that are from small towns in Colorado that come to Denver to just do music and they're great. There's people that come from like, you know, the small, not small states, but less populous states around the area and they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it too is, you know, whenever you get a scene kind of like that, I, I'm just speculating here, but, uh, because this is what I always think when I hear like the Pan Astral songs is it sounds to me like people that like all like three of you are like, you know, whenever it's just, uh, I think there's been occasions, forgive me if I'm wrong, it's been mainly just like you and Gabe. Yeah. For the most part, especially recently um, with some of the new, new music that we're recording. Um, it's been mostly the two of us recently. Okay. So <laughs> I don't feel too off base, but, but it, it does sound like because knowing you and just you know from what I've well just pan astral in general, it's it really to me sounds like oh these are two very gifted musicians, almost like two kind of gifted music producers, and we're just going to put this together because we want to. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was thinking. It's like, hmm, yeah, like I, I don't know. I'm sure you guys can do some great jamming, and you do some great jamming, but. I have no problem. Like this is where I'm kind of bridging the like. I always want to listen to people play improvised music. I'm like, no, this is some cool shit. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. It's kind of like, um, yeah, like br- bridging that gap. I mean, I think because like you, I love improvised music and I love improvising in performance and stuff too. And I love jamming and um, and uh, but but also it's been really rewarding and a very fun and cool creative process to actually, you know, build songs in the studio. Um, and, you know, and, and definitely we've had songs in the, in the past too, that the whole band has written together. Mm-hmm. Um, various members have brought different, different stuff. Um, but, you know, it is very fun to kind of, um, even though we both, I, I think, love improvised music, um, 
we have, especially with what we record, we've really focused on um, just kind of the song craft and the production. Yeah, definitely. Just trying to get everything real tightened, you know, really dialed in and um, really, you know, there's kind of like almost, even though there's some things that, that end up in the recording that we're like, maybe some feedback or something that was like a happy accident or something. Yeah. But pretty much everything is like very carefully put together. And so um, it's been, and and Gabe uh, is a really great producer that way. Um, He's got a really kind of an artist's um, eye and and ear for, for how things should sound and and be put together. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, a, a fun kind of way to work, you know, and it's a different type of thing, you know, than, um, than just jamming or something. Yeah. Then just get it kind of like, hey, uh, someone just start playing a riff and we'll see uh, what happens here. Sure. And that, yeah, you know, and that can be fun, of course. Like, and sometimes you can actually, there's been times in the past when song ideas have come out of that. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, when it comes to actually recording and producing it, um, it's definitely like kind of this, uh, uh, what's I'm trying to think of a good analogy, but kind of like a sculpting process where you've got that block of stone and then you're trying to like, you keep just kind of chiseling stuff away until it takes shape. And, yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's like adding and subtracting and adding and subtracting. Well, and what I always think of too, like uh, not just now I've, I've thought of this more as I've gotten older with like, why don't you like improvised music as opposed to going, I like it. If you don't, that's fine. Whatever is I think, I mean, it, to, to your point here, this would be like there are a lot of us that would, especially like more creative types, that wouldn't mind sitting down and watching a sculptor create something. We'd mm-hmm. be totally fine with that. Like, that's so cool. How's a guy doing that? Oh, my gosh. But there are some people that just go, hey, I just want to see the finished product. Is that cool? <laughs> and, sure, sure. Yeah. So there's, there's <laughs> yeah. room for everything in between and – like I, I've tried to learn to like, uh, not learn, but like I've definitely learned to appreciate more of the stuff where the finished product is there. And like as you talked about with uh, Happy Accident, as far as feedback, and I like that too with film, where you're like, hmm, am I actually am I reading too much into this, or do they intend to do that? And sure. it's always a fun way <laughs> to try and look at it. Uh, and I was just thinking about this, and you're talking about. Uh, concepts and stuff with pan astral and just i think the first time that i had become aware i don't know how this happened maybe you posted on facebook or something but was a youtube video uh the music video of you need oh and sure thinking like man, is this gabe guy like a you know kind of a mod- I mean, he's still alive obviously but a modern day kind of david byrne because it very had like that kind of a feel where it's, this isn't just music this is all spectrum kind of art sort of thing where right. it's <laughs> like, this is really cool. And like, I actually, that I have uh, on my Amazon music that's on my phone. That's just downloaded. That is one of the ones that plays, I think the most because like you listen to this one so much. <laughs> oh, okay. It's like here, you might like this. <laughs> yeah. uh, to the point where like, I want to use that one in the intro more. But it's so just like 
it runs the gamut as far as like dynamism that like in sometimes you're like how do i kind of is this really podcast music if that makes sense <laughs> sure like this is well, one of my but, favorites but how do you use it <laughs> sure well and by the way i i uh I'm remiss in, in not mentioning this sooner, but I really am flattered and appreciate that you use our music on, on the podcast. That's it, uh, really cool. And I've been really, uh, really touched by that. So oh, I, I absolutely appreciate it. And uh, it's, it's funny because like I'll sit there and be uh, Julie won't even hear a conversation that I'm editing and be like, which one should I use? And she's like, what's the tone of the conversation? And sometimes it'll be like, uh, and like no matter, like she almost always has a response. It should be this song, it should be that song. But typically, you probably notice this. It's I really want to use when summer comes, just because whether uh-huh. it's like now where it's it's there's still snow on the ground here. There's been snow on the ground here for like over two weeks. That doesn't yeah. happen in Seattle. Wow. Whether it's that or um, you know me, I'm a sucker for horns. So like just that horn break in there is just excellent. So mm. yeah, no. Uh, I appreciate it, and obviously a thank you to you and uh, Gabe and everybody else for letting you use it, because I, uh, I use several of the songs, and oftentimes uh, I like to use Gulf of Mexico, just if it's kind of, what's the word, relevant for the conversation that's happening. <laughs> sure. I was going to say, I, I would imagine maybe that would be like for uh, we're, we're, uh, one of the political topics, maybe, or something. I believe one of the first ones episodes we posted was uh, around the time of the hurricane that was hitting in Houston. Oh, okay. So it was like, oh, this is relevant for that. And of course, just because of the way the current president is, where his focus is on all things Mexico. Yeah, this just kind of works. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense for sure. Well, uh, as I said, this is usually driven by the dog, and he is standing by the door in here, so I should probably let him out. But uh, it, thanks a lot for the conversation, man. That was really good. Uh, we're at an hour and 30 minutes, and there won't be, I don't think, too much editing done. Do you want to uh, try your hand at – because I, I didn't I didn't prepare you for this. Do you want to try your hand at the uh, good thing of the week, or do you just want to uh, – Leave it here, and we'll have to do this again soon. But do you do you want to uh, you want to try it? <laughs> so so yeah, remind me about that again. So, uh, in initial podcast, Michelle and I felt like everything was so negative because we just everything <laughs> was discussing Trump and, uh, okay. <laughs> and especially now with uh, our deep digs into fascism, it's like we got to kind of try and bring it back to somewhat not so negative before we end. Okay. So it's just like if you've got something good that happened to you this week, something you enjoyed, um, the like film, music, uh, television, uh, I'll well, it won't be giving it away because Michelle and I recorded an episode on Friday. So my good thing of the week was I think two of them, but one of them was that we're moving to this new place next uh, month where it's our own place. It's a great like standalone. We live in the basement right now of a duplex, and this other spot is above ground. has a huge yard for the dog. And it, nice. So that was it. So it's just kind of like if you got something you – know, she plugs charity sometimes. Like it's just got something you want to talk about that's good that happened this week or 
I guess it doesn't matter. It just happened to you recently. That's oh, sort of what it is. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, that's great. Congrats on the, on the new house, by the way. Thanks. Um, yeah, you know, I, uh, I, I try to kind of make a habit of, of gratitude as much as possible. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to think recently and it's often just little, relatively little stuff. Um, so I, uh, actually, uh, the past couple weekends have been playing, um, with some, some church services, which has been really, really cool, um, and very satisfying. Um, got to spend some, some good time with family recently. Um, and, uh, I'm going to be actually going to Phoenix next weekend to, uh, visit my brother. For good time you're going to go to Phoenix? Yeah. So I'm excited to, um, you know, it's a little, little gloomy here. Uh, <laughs> I've heard it's snowing so, again. Yeah. So it's, uh, so I'm, so I'm psyched for that to get some, get some warmth and sun and, um, so those are, yeah, those are some, some good things. That definitely works. Uh, I don't know if I have a good thing cause I already did one, but, uh, I'll do this one. Um, so my phone reminded me on Saturday that it's actually been speaking of this dog. It's been two years since Julia brought him home. Um, and the story behind that is Tad, you actually may remember, but you've at least met or you had met Jerry. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. And uh, so this that is how old that dog got. I got Jerry in the summer of 2003. And wow. they said he was three or four when I adopted him. And he, you know, I had him out throughout college. He made the move out here with me in 2012. Uh, he moved into this place with me in 2015. And a couple of years ago, it was pretty obvious. Like he had some kind of bad incontinence. Um, and we just, I guess I hadn't noticed that he was pretty, hit some doggy dementia going on. Like he would just sit in the corner and stare at it for two hours. Oh, okay. And he he'd snapped at Julia one night when she tried to because he was getting less and less okay with us putting his leash on and take him out. Oh, okay. And after that, I was like, oh, I guess it's. I feel bad because like, I I kind of want him to go out in his own terms, but it's like, he he's just he's just hanging on and he's not there anymore. And so, yeah. you know, fortunately, moved on. And I was so heartbroken. I didn't want anything to do with another dog and she was like, we need another dog okay and she drove all the way down to olympia which is about a four-hour drive from here in traffic to see this dog and sent me a text he's a great dog we need to get him can you send me i think it was like x amount of dollars for the cash app so i can pay the fees I'm like okay here you go and brought him home and he's just been fantastic ever since so that's nice that's the second good thing of the week and now he's uh I hope he's not making a mess by the door. He's been good about that. <laughs> oh, nice. But well, that's awesome, man. I and I actually I I as soon as you mentioned Jerry, I had forgotten about him, but then when I, when you mentioned him, I could picture him right away. So that's amazing that he lived as long as he did. He um, did, but, and I always felt bad that Julia just uh never got to know him cuz when you knew him, he was rambunctious and kind of weird. Uh-huh. But sweet, he just was out up here <laughs> yeah yeah 
Well, that's that's really so. It's been two years. You said since you've had the the yep. new the new guy. Okay, nice. And he was very very small when we first got him, so he's just over two. Oh, that's awesome! Cool, man. Well, uh, thanks a lot again, Tad. Uh, we'll actually have to do this again because I'm we're at the point now where I might have to do a two parter. But uh, I wanted to discuss more, so we'll have to do another one, hopefully the next couple of months. Uh, I know uh, Michelle's just been busy, so we'll be doing more conversations with other people. <laughs> yeah, you bet, man. Any any time. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And uh, this was really fun. So thanks for suggesting it and, and uh, having me do it. I appreciate it. Ah, for sure. Thank you. We'll do it again soon. Sounds good, man. <laughs>